bringing a second baby home from the hospital and being told that you should automatically know how to manage two kids. The transition from one to two is definitely a big change. This week on the podcast, I speak with Jen Muir on ditching the perfect parenting approach and she discusses tips, hints and strategies on managing this change and why it's okay to say no to your kids. Also, just quickly, doors are opening very, very soon to the Working Mama Village. So be sure to be on the wait list and you won't then miss out on amazing specials. Welcome to the Working Mama podcast, a show that provides real world tips, tricks and advice to all working mamas on how they can have a career, family and hopefully one day break the glass ceiling. Welcome, Jen. How's your day going? It's good so far. Thank you so much for having me. Not a problem at all. My pleasure. I've been following you for a little while now on Instagram. So it was great that we're able to connect and have this amazing discussion regarding parenting on the Working Mama podcast, because I know it's a topic that working moms are like, you know, all working parents, there's the topic of themselves and, and how they manage the juggle. But a really big part of that juggle is obviously the kids. Yeah. And there's a whole range of, of different topics that I really look forward to, to getting into. So why don't we kick it off? And how would you best describe yourself? Okay. So yeah, I'm a, a social worker. I'm a parenting educator. I'm a mum to four beautiful boys. And I would describe myself as busy. <laughs> Four boys, I could imagine. Coming up, busy. <laughs> wow, I, I, you know, I've got a five-month-old and a three-year-old, and that's I find those two boys very busy at times. So hats off to you with four. And actually, you know what it is, and I still think if I was comparing where I was at when I had a five-month-old and a, and a small toddler at home, I would still take where I am at any day um, <laughs> because that is the hardest year and that's why I you know I know one of the things we'll talk about today is that transition from one to two children but that's why I'm so passionate about helping people with the naught to five range because there's so much happening as a parent and finding your feet and managing the juggle so yeah so it is absolutely just as busy when you've got two little kids at home. Uh, yes, it is. It is. And so do you want to just tell us a little bit about what's been your career pathway to date to get where you are now? Yeah, 100%. You know, out of high school, I went straight into social work, Bachelor of Social Work at UNSW, and I was doing that degree. I came out, I started working in a hospital environment, and I very quickly felt like I felt too young and inexperienced in terms of life experience to be doing this work that really required a depth and richness to life experience. I was working with people with really complex layered histories and I felt like it was um, not quite right that I was the one doing that job, if that makes sense. So I wound up working my way into program management and policy at Legal Aid and I did years of domestic violence program management. I rolled out a couple of great projects there and kind of worked there while I was having my four children. And then following the four children, basically following every birth, I worked with someone around my parenting or around babies or sleep or whatever it was I needed. I'm a big fan of pulling in an expert. And every single time I thought, I want to do this. I want to be in that environment helping mums and families and babies. And was just lucky enough that following the birth of my fourth child, who's now almost five, a great opportunity came up to start working at the Marshall Hospital in Sydney and I started working there 
doing parent education and one-on-one social work and it just all flowed from there and this feels like my life's calling now it feels like I'm doing exactly what I was put on earth to do but maybe I had to have my four children and do that journey and even my career in policy and program management was all part of leading me to here if that makes sense yeah that's so inspiring and it's it's amazing what doors open because of having kids that you know when you when you're finishing university you would never expect where you are now but it's amazing how just the synergies are there and you know that you've got your purpose and it's so powerful and probably you enjoy going to work every day and and really thrive on it. Yeah, it doesn't feel like work what I do. I've spent the last decade, while longer than that, while not necessarily working with mums professionally, absolutely reading, working, preparing for this almost, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's fantastic. And so do you want to just tell us a little bit more about the work that you're doing now? Yeah, sure. I work in lots of environments. I work in the hospital environment where obstetric social work is one-on-one work with families around anything that can come up emotionally with the birth of any baby. So people come in with their complex stories and histories and they may need different levels of support based on what's happening. So I do that. Then I also do a lot of parent education there. So that's um, helping parents with the transition between or when they have their first baby, so becoming parents, and then particularly between the transition between baby one and two because I think that's a really big one. And then I teach circle of security parenting for a number of organisations and I do that usually via Zoom or sometimes face-to-face classes. And then I do my own stuff, which is connected parenting, and that's where I am just trying to support parents with all the nuances of parenting and the juggle. And I bring a lot of that research from Circle of Security around creating a secure attachment to people in kind of easily digestible forms through through that platform. And then I do a lot of one-on-one work with people as well via Zoom. Wow, no wonder you are so busy. That's amazing. <laughs> so many different facets to it. But yeah, there's the really that central theme of, of helping parents along that parent parenting well, journey. I think it's such a tough job and there's a bit of a myth that we should innately know how to do this. And it's a learnt skill. This is all a learnt skill. And it like anything, it just takes time and it takes a bit of coaching, I think, to to sort of get comfortable with it. Well, I even know that when my husband and I first went to the antenatal classes for our, when our first son was being born, it was all about the birth and, you know, pretty much about four or five hours focused solely on the birth, which really was, when you think about in the grand scheme of things, you know, probably two days of our lives because I was induced, so I had to go in earlier. And, and But then when I look about it, there was no real training, no real preparation from hospital, anything about bring this baby home. And so when he got home, it was like my husband and I look at each other going, what do we do now? And because we also had a son in special care. So it was like we were part-time parenting for a little while and it was really full on. And then you're like, oh my goodness. And nothing really, everyone focuses so much on the birth, but really the, really the small percentage post-birth is what really is the important part. And yeah, it's amazing how much, yeah, misalignment there is in some of those education. Yeah, it's so true. And it is so, I mean, I I do think education for birth is really important, but we need to be incorporating some of that parenting education. Yeah, look, I didn't even know about awake times and things like that until well well down the track. And it's, yeah, those little things. Yeah, it was amazing. And then even 
friends and I from my mother's group have actually commented as we've all just recently had our second, we're going, geez, the transition from one to two is really full on and a lot more than probably I think what most people ever expect. And people will say to you, oh, you've had one, you know exactly what to do. And you're thinking, no, I've got a toddler who needs my attention and I've got this newborn who I'm trying to learn and, and that about as well. It's it's a pretty crazy period. A hundred percent. And that's exactly what I see is that we don't really support parents with that transition from one to two. We do say exactly that. We say, well, you'll be busy, but you know what you're doing. But actually you've never juggled two children at different developmental stages at the same time. And what you've never done is have to make one of them wait. Mm. So that juggle. And then often we're under increased financial pressure You've had someone in and out of the workforce a couple of times, so there's pressure on work and kind of who we are. And then I think as mothers particularly, that's about the point we feel a bit lost in it, like it can get lonely, it can get isolated. You feel like you're drifting away from your, who you were, I, you know, almost like drifting out to sea, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, the identity that you were, yeah, pre-kids, post-kids, and then even like multiple kids, yeah. just is constantly changing and you can get onto the roller coaster and then go, who am I? Yeah. So absolutely, it's a big one. And so that's why I do a lot of work in that area, supporting parents with that. It is big. Yeah, I even actually had a discussion with my maternal health nurse of saying there's not a lot of support of going from one to two, even from the hospital system and and things like that. It was really interesting of the lack of support. You know, there's mother's groups when you first have a kid and a child and really that support. But then second time around or even subsequent kids, yeah, you're onto your own devices. 100%. And I think what we underestimate is the impact on our older child. So Mm -hmm. what we do, you know, we think kids are resilient. They'll be right. We've all had a sibling born. We all survived it. The stuff that I'm teaching, you know, in my online course and and face-to-face with people and at the MARTA, it's a game changer because when we actually know what's happening for our kids and much like you didn't know your baby wake times, (laughs) sorry, with your firstborn, you don't know what's really going to happen for your older child unless you've literally researched into attachment and how this new baby coming home into the family will impact your older child. You don't know what's going to hit. And so suddenly then you've also got behaviour that's different, that's demanding something of you. And then as parents, we're also dealing with suddenly big meltdowns and tantrums at the same time as this newborn. (laughs) (laughs) And the newborn suddenly seems like the easier job. Yes. (laughs) Because we've never done that before. And yeah, it's it's so big and definitely a space that parents need more support with. And and it's something I relate to because when I had my second, that year that followed was so tough. And I, I don't want that for anybody else. Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. Anything that we can do. So what are just some initial like top line things that people can be aware of and do Obviously, that can go in, in into your course, but what are some top line things that parents can be prepared for, or even probably mentally prepare for, and some hints and tips of that one to two transition? Hundred percent. So the two key things I would say in advance is really know that building up that connection between your your older child. If you if you're hearing this and you're pregnant and you haven't had the baby yet, upping your physical connections with your child is absolutely the way to go. What a lot of people do in the lead up to a second baby is we do a lot of talk. 
So depending how much our child can handle, we're doing a lot of talk around, you're going to be such a good big brother or sister. You're going to be mummy's best helper. The baby's coming and let's talk about the baby. Do you want to listen to baby? Let's, you know, and what happens is our child, even if they're articulate and two or three or even four years old, they're going, oh my God, mum seems a bit stressed about this. And... So they might even play along, go, yeah, 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 baby coming, and they, they do all this, but they don't really get it because we didn't really get it when we were having our first. So they don't really know how it's going to feel to have this little person in mum's arms feeding from her potentially, taking up the time until it hits. So we can't really prepare them. But what we can do is up the connections so that when it does come, there's lots of sort of love in that tank to buffer the impact of this baby coming along. So what I recommend is even building up the idea that if mum's going to go to hospital, we can do some things to set this child up for success, like talk about how grandma will come and what's going to happen. You might even draw it out, like kids love visuals. And then I often say to parents, you might buy them a special toy and say, when mummy goes to hospital, you can cuddle the toy and think of me. But it's about building those connections, building up the physical kind of the metaphors around our love for our child, and then just trusting that And then I've got different advice for after, basically. But at that point, you've got to trust. So you just play, you keep it light, don't over-talk and build the physical connections in summary. (laughs) Yeah. And then what about posts, like once once you get home or even actually in hospital? Because I know that first meeting can be quite interesting. Like from a personal experience, we were in Melbourne about to go into lockdown that night. So it happened a lot earlier than what we were anticipating. So I literally just had a cesarean and was like, right, get this child to hospital so we can quickly meet. And yeah, there was definitely like, whoa, what is this new thing? And I want daddy. Or, and then suddenly, no, I want mummy. And yeah, it was, it was a really interesting process. Yeah, it is interesting. And it's not what I think uh, when we when we fall pregnant with a second child, we're really picturing this first meeting, this magic moment. And we're picturing the, you know, the older child looking into the, the glass sided cot, looking at their new baby. And we just want it to, you know, we have a baby often to give the older child a yeah. <laughs> You know, we really want this to go well. And then that moment comes and look, some people do have a beautiful first meeting, but most people it's a bit chaotic there's a sudden realisation that this big snotty toddler is sort of suddenly a bit too close to the precious newborn and we're sore and the room is a bit small and it doesn't always go picture book style. So the advice I would give to people is first of all, know that the biggest thing to focus on is being really available for your older child to meet them where they're at. Rather than our focus being on this child's coming in to meet the new baby, We need to be focused on our child is coming in to reconnect with mum and for mum to reassure the older child we're okay. And so what that means is when your child comes in, there is no baby in your arms, but it's not because your older child will get jealous of the baby, which is what we often assume that advice is about. It's actually much more about us being physically available to open-armed, meet our child where they're at. Now, some kids are going to come in and I think you said your child was a bit like, I only want dad, you know, and they do a bit of that. They might be a bit aloof or a bit nervous and I'd be there ready to name that and go, you're a bit nervous and that's okay because you've never done this before and we just have our body open and we're ready to just meet that emotion where it's at. Some kids are going to come in. They don't care about the baby. They just want to talk about this blue car. It's got four wheels. Yeah. (laughs) 
and I just really want to talk about it or what my friend Connor did at school today. And I would be absolutely talking about that. And some kids will absolutely rush in and be like, I want to meet this baby. But once they've checked out fingers and toes, they're going to reference very quickly back to mum and dad. And there's going to be this look in their eyes like, oh my goodness, are we okay? And they're ready to catch that look saying, you know what, I've missed you so much. It's so good to see you. And it's really about keeping our focus on the older child without trying to rush them towards a relationship with the baby. The relationship between your older child and the baby will just unfold. You know, it just unfolds. Some kids will kind of fall in love straight away and some kids, it might not be till the baby's 12 weeks old and they make the baby laugh for the first time. And then they go, oh, actually, you're pretty cool. So I think it's about really knowing the focus of that introduction is you and your child, not the two children. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. And really creating that, that safe space, but as you said, be open for it. And that I know from when we got home and my husband picked up my son from childcare and then he came home, he was, yeah, like, had to give the baby a hug. He just smothers him every chance he can. He's like, I want to hug him and, and things that it was like, oh my God, this has melted my heart moment. But yeah, it's one of those things you had, there was a lot of talking prior and and then also we moved house two weeks later. So there's a lot going on in our lives. There always is. Why do we oh. move house right when we have a second baby? <laughs> oh, it's just crazy. It's just like when it rains, it pours. So <laughs> common. <laughs> And so once you're home, is it just important still then to continue those connections? So it's not necessarily right 100% attention on new baby, but also still being available, particularly at that emotional level for, for those children. My three key tips for ongoing, obviously connection remains to be one of the most important things you can do with your kids. If you're seeing behaviour that is different or not great or difficult, I would start with connection every time and know that it's physical, not words that we need to do with our kids. So definitely connection. The second thing to know as life goes on is that you need to keep the boundaries and the rhythms that were in place in your home and that's unique in every situation going. A lot of people will ease up on those because we're very aware that our older child has been through something big. And so we're almost compensating. Some parents will hesitate to send the older child off to daycare because we feel bad because they're going off and we're all at home. But actually keeping that rhythm is really good for our older child. When our kids have those boundaries in place that were there in place before, they feel nice and safe. If we remove them, what happens is our child will push and push and push till they get that limit. And that can be something people do see a lot of after the birth of a second baby. And I can really understand why, because we, we, yeah, we loosen the boundaries and then our child is going, who's at the wheel? And so they will push until they work it out. <laughs> yeah. And also as a parent, you're going, I still want to give you attention, but I want to give this, like you feel like you're emotionally torn. Of, yeah. And then the final thing that's really important, and I touched on it earlier, but it's being willing to welcome the, the kind of difficult emotions that come up. There will be moments that it's not great to have a, a baby in the house or you don't want to be an older sister or brother or it's hard to wait for something and naming that for our children rather than trying to brush it under the rug makes a really big difference it allows them to feel really seen and heard there is something big happening for them the sooner we can help them know we see it (laughs) we don't have to fix it but we have to see it too the sooner they feel like okay well you know I feel seen and it's ultimately what we all want as humans it's what we want on a hard day as well. 
Yeah. And also about giving them that ownership. I know my son, for example, like my oldest, he just like, look, no, I want, he's three. He's deciding he knows what he wants. And, but you see, yeah, you still got to provide those boundaries of like this morning. No, you still need to put socks on with shoes. So yes. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's certainly a lot in that. And you talk about boundaries and I really like how on, yeah, I saw recently you did an article about saying it's okay to say no, which I think is such, a, it is, some people would say, no, you don't say that. But I love how you, there's actually a way of no is actually a good thing in some situations. 100%. I think that there is, there is a problem with boundaries and saying no that's happened with our generation of parents. So if you look back at, at how we've done discipline or boundaries in the past, I was a child of the 80s. I was you know, I was smacked or sent to my room. We now know that that's not the best way to build relationship and it doesn't teach our children to change their behaviour. So we know that doesn't work. So then as a generation, we've grown up thinking, well, we don't sort of do anything but like that. So we're stuck with sticker charts and distractions and rewards. And then we're not knowing that it's actually okay to set a boundary and to say no within the relationship. And that is so, so important because without it, it doesn't work for us. And I really believe boundaries are how, as parents, we juggle. Because we talk about self-care and we talk about wanting to have our own stuff. And also we want a situation where parenting is not an absolute bloody nightmare. (laughs) That won't stop you know, a bit of a nightmare from happening, but definitely when we can learn that it is okay to say no some of the time and just to say, look, this is the boundary. My answer is no. And a good example is that of that is when, say, a, a second baby comes along and the older child is maybe just, might not even be hitting the baby, but just touching the baby in a way that is not, the baby's not liking. So it's not working for the baby. It's not working for mum, but we don't know what to do and we don't think it's okay to say no. So we try distraction or we try, oh, like, just put on anything but rather than saying no. But actually, it's so kind to step in and say, I won't let you touch the baby on his head like that. He doesn't like it. You can touch him on his feet. And then what will happen is your child will have some big emotions. Most likely, if we set a boundary, our kids will cry. And one of the reasons we don't set boundaries as well as the history of boundary setting is that we don't want to upset our kids. We get given, I think, the wrong message that it's our job to actually make them happy. And it's it's not. We can take that off our to-do list. <laughs> I think what our job is with our kids is, you know, connection and love and boundaries and then welcoming those feelings. So, you know, the last night I had a big meltdown from my four-year-old because they know oh, he was just upset because he wanted spaghetti, normal spaghetti instead of spaghetti and meatballs. And and I said, look, no, it's normal spaghetti. And he thought maybe he'd have a yogurt. And I was like, look, no, this is dinner. <laughs> this is dinner. Hold the boundary and then welcome in those big emotions. And it's hard to do, but when you can, it really does help everybody feel more safe and secure. Mostly our children. I think boundaries are the guardrails that make them feel really safe. Yeah. And I know sometimes, particularly early on as a parent, you, those boundaries, as you said earlier, do get relaxed at times because you're just like, oh, I'm just going to take the easy road out because I just want to keep, I can't be bothered dealing with another tantrum today. But then over time, yeah, definitely having those, those boundaries actually do benefit them rather than actually when you're thinking, oh, no, if I'm going to say no, they're going to get annoyed or they're going to get upset with me because you've already got mum guilt of not spending enough time with them. There's so many, so many different layers to that as well. 
I think the mum guilt really does play a role. And especially, you know, I know this is the working mum podcast, but I know especially when we're working and then we're feeling like, well, then my time with my child should be really happy and good. And then we think, well, I shouldn't set a boundary because I don't want to make them cry. But in actual fact, boundaries, I just have to tell one story. Brene Brown did this amazing study of university students and she got them to talk about whether they were from, you know, households that had strong boundaries and and rules or whether they were from sort of permissive households and she found that people with the really strong boundaries were putting up their hand and like bragging like oh my gosh my parents were so strict you know I was only allowed half an hour of tv a week and you know all this stuff and there was this group of kids that just were like they looked a bit ashamed they weren't speaking so she went up and she was like what was your deal and that kids, the kids that weren't speaking were like, mm, my parents were really permissive. I was allowed to do anything I want. And they were ashamed. Like the, the permissiveness was interpreted by these young adults or, te- like, you know, university students as, as kind of a lack, lack of love. So I think that's really interesting to sort of know. It's a, it's a really interesting view on boundaries. Yeah, because at the time when you're setting the boundary and your kids are losing it, you do have, oh no, what am I doing? What's the impact, long-term impact that I'm going to have on my children? I know with my son, when I'm negotiating with him regarding screen time and that, no, we've had enough and, and things like that, there is a major meltdown that, that often happens. And, but I'm just like, no, mate, you can't have any more. This is what needs to happen. And even yesterday he goes, I'm going to turn it off now. And I was like, yes, this is a win. <laughs> Yeah, look, I'm still juggling with the screen time boundaries with my 12-year-old and my 9-year-old and, yeah, it's tough. Yeah, there's lots out there. And you talked just now about the mum guilt of definitely parenting with kids and there's a lot that goes around that and I think a big part of our guilt that comes is that because we want to be with our kids and but we still want a career and it's what you said, it's about those boundary settings between those but they're not such mutually exclusive. They often do overlap between the two. And that can be quite challenging at times, as you said, about you get home from work and then there's a tantrum and you're like, oh my goodness, like I've already had a long day at work and then I then come home to this and I just want a happy family. It, it can be quite definitely challenging. How can we support and parents, particularly you say with kids, even just going into childcare and even in school, they're all going through different stages and navigating some of those emotions. Okay, I think one of the one of the things that's really helped me in my journey, you know, with my four kids, one of the things we worked out along the way is that often we're focusing on the needs of an individual child. We're thinking, oh, what's, you know, when we're making an, any decision, whether it's about putting our child in two, three days of daycare versus two, and we're weighing it up, what's best for them? What's best for me? What's best, you know, and we're weighing it up and we keep, we look at the individual child. One of the questions my partner and I have learned to ask is what's better for the whole family unit? So I think really thinking about, especially when you've gone from one child to two and you're juggling work and mental health and, and other commitments, what we know is that we are better parents if we fill our own cup and we have, you know, some of us want to be full-time stay-at-home mums. For me, I've always wanted to go back to work and, and do a bit of both, always sort of went back. I enjoyed my maternity leave of one year and then at about one year I'd be so excited to get back because I didn't want to wipe under that high chair one more time. <laughs> Like just a break from that and to get dressed and have a coffee and sit at my desk and achieve something again made me a better mum on the days I was home. So I think while there, while I would still get hit by the occasional sort of guilt about 
you know, this or that or missing something at the preschool. It's about thinking what's better for the whole family unit. And I know I'm a better mum on the days I'm with my child because I've got this career happening on the side. And I think that can help people when they are debating, even do I keep my older child in childcare while I've got a second baby at home and is that okay if I'm not working? And it's about thinking about the whole family unit, what's going to benefit all of us because mum and dad are driving the ship and if they are not fitting their own oxygen masks, yeah, nobody nobody does well. So we've got to, we've really got to look at that whole picture and I kind of think that's the piece we miss when we're giving people advice on whether to sleep train or not sleep train and it's like have to look at that whole picture. It's yeah. not needs of one individual person in that house it's the whole unit and then the other advice I have because sometimes I think we're not so good at knowing when we're really under it as parents and we're not sometimes we get so caught up in the guilt that we're not thinking clearly and we don't know we need a break Um, my partner and I have a little system of tapping each other out so that might be in the kind of immediate way of after a newborn you're there rocking the baby and you think you're fine but you're not you know no longer regulated and you're really stressed and we'd spot that in each other and just go I'm going to tap you out we still do it if one of us is about to lose it with someone who won't put their shoes and socks on which is something you talked about earlier and you can hear them building like they're no longer being the best parent they can be we will actually just I'll walk in and go I'll take it from here and I just tap him out and we're really good at that but then in a bigger sense you can start to tap each other out for you need to go and get back to work or you know creating that space for those things that fill our cup in terms of who we are which is not just work but joy and fun and hobbies but all of that makes a difference Yes, I love that on so many levels. I love the analogy of filling your cup, but I think also I'm very similar that I'm definitely a better mum by working. I know that when I got to the end of my first mat leave, I was like, look, I don't need to, you know, I need to do something for me. I need to have my identity back again of being not just being a mum. There's something more to that. And I found that actually that I had better quality time with my son because I just couldn't take it for granted. And I actually valued it so much more. And now being on a second mat leave, I was like, I actually now, I'm probably enjoying it a little bit more because I know what's coming up, but I know that it's not finite and and then I can go back to it. But I love the concept of what looking at things from a family perspective, that whole systems and systematic thinking view of things of just not one individual, but all, how does it all work together? As you said, on the ship, you can't just have the captain there. You need everyone working together and all in tune. So it's, it's definitely so powerful. And yeah, like the other night, my, I, you know, emotionally I was stretched between both children and my husband said to me, do you just need a moment? And I was like, yes, at my wits end, but I emotionally was just feeling really stretched and pulled. And it's so important that you can, it's great that you're recognizing that with your partner. Yeah. 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 And it's great. Your partner obviously is doing it too. At times. Yes. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) he's good in letting me if I need to go out for brunch with the girls or something like that he's yeah good that I can that I can do that so yeah which is really powerful and I think also around parenting and even there's a lot of society pressures that we put on ourselves and I think even social media has that role of playing that oh as you said we should we should we be sleep training should we be doing this and should we be doing that I personally hate the word should relating to parenting because it puts so much pressure on that. And why is it that, you know, as you said, from like the 80s, there wasn't probably that pressure of being, in inverted commas, the perfect parent. But now there is, and it almost seems that there's more challenges now than what there were, you know, probably 30, 40 years ago. 
Yeah, I totally agree. I think one of the factors at play, you know, from a sort of sociological level is that this is the first generation where there's a chance. We're looking at this world. It's getting harder. It's getting more complicated. It's harder to get a job. It's harder to buy a house. And I think we're having fewer children. We're having them later. And then we're thinking there's a chance my children might not reach the level of success that I had, that they may not be able to ever afford a house in Sydney where I live, for example. And then as a result, we get worried about them missing out. We want to have them do everything. And then everything becomes about making these kids, I don't know, giving them every opportunity. And then, I mean, I think that is one of the big factors, but also the village has changed. So we're parenting much more in a silo and without the village just there to help out and and we just muddle along, we look for information. Now, the information that is out there is great, but I think you touched on it, there's an overload and there's just all this stuff and without kind of a village guiding us for our specific purposes, where they're going, should I do this? Should I do that? Should I be feeding organic? And there's so much pressure and guilt out there. And I remember navigating that. It pretty much washes over me now. I feel like I dropped so many balls that it's you know, like, oh, I don't know. I'm that hot mess mum that <laughs> no, it's photo day. Like <laughs> I'm so far from Pinterest. <laughs> and look, sometimes it still gets to me. But mostly what I now know is that if you can narrow in on what the values are you're trying to create in your little family, if you can have a conversation with your partner about what are we trying to build here, what really matters, because you can't be at all. You can't work and have an immaculate house and bake organic cookies every day and also be Montessori training your children and, you know, you can't do it all. And what you can do, though, is think what really are our core values, what really matters to us, and then you do that and you do what you enjoy with your kids. Like I think we've lost the art of just, you know, be the mum you want to be. Some of us are good at doing puzzles with our kids and some of us would rather, you know, just connect over bath time. You know, it's, it's sort of okay to do it anyway. Once you know that it lies in the relationship, I think it takes a lot of pressure off. And what, what you realise is that what, if we get the secure attachment right, we, it doesn't matter whether you breastfeed, bottle feed, co-sleep, <laughs> sleep train, feed organic, feed packet food. Ultimately, if you get the relationship right, you just can parent from your heart. You don't have to keep looking at books. Oh, that is so powerful. Parenting from the heart and just going from there and then focusing on relationship. I love it. It's, it's, um, it's very, you know, light bulb moment that, yeah, it's, as you said, it's focusing on those connections and relationships and and everyone's different and everyone's going to have their own pathway. And, and you know what, that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. And there's what you said earlier about doing what's better for your family. It's, I know from a personal experience, my son would like, rather go out and kick a footy than what he would probably do some painting or drawing at home. It's just who he, who he is and, you know, I feel bad, but you know what, at the end of the day I'm going, you know, some of it at childcare, so it's okay. Totally fine. Let's, let, let childcare handle all the painting. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so you've also written some material around how we can provide good foundations for our children so they can feel supported, resilient and confident, which seem to be some skills that in this day and age that are really integral for kids growing up. 
what way can we as parents support them in developing these skills over time? In, is skills in becoming more resilient? Yeah, more resilient or, you know, and also making sure that our, obviously you've already spoken about kids feeling supported. So it's that relationship and connection and that it's also that confidence part as well. Yeah, look, we, we focus a lot on self-esteem and resilience and it, it's funny because res- a lot of it really is modelling, which is the bad news. I'm sorry. <laughs> So I remember going, because I'm an avid learner, I remember going to a course, I had a two-year-old that was throwing a lot of tantrums and I saw this local community centre was running a parenting course on resilience. So I turned up and I was so offended in the first 10 minutes when this trainer started implying, well, she was asking me how resilient I was. I'm thinking, I am not here about me. What are you talking about? Like, you know, God, this is ridiculous. Anyway, what I now know is that, yeah, she was absolutely right. And so much of resilience is our ability to be resilient through our kids' failures. And so what that means is resisting the urge, whether it's a baby that can't reach a toy and they're crying out of frustration or a little kid that falls over, right up to our five-year-old having playground dramas and coming home and, and they say, no one wants to play with me. Now, if we're not feeling so resilient in ourselves or, or believing our child, we're going to either want to go, tell me the names of those kids, I'll be calling those parents, or we might be like, stuff them, you're better than all of them, like do your own thing. When in fact, what our child needs from us in that moment is not to take on their problem, to be resilient enough within ourselves to sit there and say, that sounds really tough. Do you want to tell me about it? So actually letting our kids fall and being there with open arms not to fix or change, but to sit alongside them is how we build resilient humans. But it's really hard to do. And there's a whole lot of factors that get in the way of us doing that. You can know this at a cognitive level, but doing it is another story because our parents didn't necessarily know how to do it either. And how we go in those moments is impacted by previous generations. So parenting is really complicated. Yes. Oh, it's... <laughs> As you said at the start, it's definitely on the job training. It's not something that you can prepare for. You can read all the books in the world. And the big, it's not. I mean, the biggest yeah. thing that gets in our way with parenting is ourselves. It's our own reactions, you know, how you go when your child has a big meltdown. I mean, children are meant to have meltdowns. They're meant to do that lots and lots of times. It's how they build their brain. But how that impacts us is completely informed by our family of origin and what happened to us and how our parents felt about meltdowns. So it's about learning to control ourselves in those moments. And if we can do that, we will grow a resilient kid. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's tough when you, your kids are losing it and you're wanting to just naturally, it's that fight or flight mentality of, am I going to go with them or am I not? And yeah, it's, it's really hard not to you know, raise your voice and get angry at them in those moments of when they're, they are losing it. And I have to say, even doing what I do and having been practicing this stuff for eight years, and I, I facilitate circle of security now, and I did it as a parent when my kids were really little, it still is an absolute work in progress. I still struggle. When my kids are having meltdowns, I have to consciously slow my breath and <laughs> stay open. And sometimes I lose it. So what we now know is that if we can meet these needs that I've talked about, connection, boundaries, and being with around 30% of the time, that is enough to turn out a securely attached child. I think this is good news. Only so 30%. Only 30%. I know. 
we're not really shooting for more because think about life, right? 30% of the time your child goes to connect with you and you're paying bills or you're dealing with another child or you're working and you miss that cue. And that's okay to miss that 70% of the time as long as 30% you're tuning in. So I'm always about quality over quantity. And so it's about if you've managed to sit through one epic meltdown today, you're killing it. You're doing amazing. You don't worry about the other things you've missed. It's impossible to be a perfect parent. We're shooting to be a good enough parent. Oh, that's such a good message to alert. I think there's a lot of just sighs of relief for everyone that's listening. I've gone, Oh, a good enough parent's great. Because, yeah. We can all do that. We can all do 30%. Yeah, know? 30% is definitely achievable. So, yeah, that's that's really good news. So I think everyone at the moment is going to be giving you big high fives in hearing that. And, Jen, is there anything else you want to add in terms of, yeah, bringing kids home or yeah, parenting hints and tips in this day and age is what we say. It can be a bit of a challenge. Look, the only thing I'd say, and I've touched on it there, is if anything, as a generation of parents, we are trying so hard and we're trying to be so perfect and we're pressuring ourselves. And if anything, dial down that pressure and and just know that that 30% is how much our children need us to be connecting and setting boundaries and being with their emotions. And that we really, our kids don't need perfect parents. And then the final thing I'd add is we all stuff it up. We all have moments that we we yell at our kids or we be, it's like, for me, it's like, you know, the parent you don't want to be just emerges out of you like a guttural beast. <laughs> and you're like, oh my God, what happened? So when that happens and it does happen, like if anyone says it doesn't, they're lying. When that happens or you're just not the parent you wanted to be, know that all our kids need is parents that are willing to go in and say, sorry, can I do that again? And I think when you know that, it takes a lot of pressure off. When we are able to say sorry after that bad day where we yelled or we 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 weren't the parent we wanted to be, we're modelling the ability to say sorry better than when we say to our children, say sorry to Mike because he stole his truck you know that doesn't work what does work is us being willing to say whoops I yelled and I didn't mean to and I'm really sorry and I think when parents know that it can take that you know those guilty moments where you're sitting on the couch and like oh I wasn't a good parent today and I'm stuffing this up and you're looking up blogs if you know that actually if you just go in and say whoops can we try that again you know I wanted to do that differently here's what I wanted to say you know that's everything and as what you said, it's really role modeling those behaviors. And so then your children can see that and, and learn yeah. from it. Yeah, it's actually in some of my moments of repair of going in recently with my 11 year old, we had a huge fight over something. And I wasn't the parent I wanted to be and I had to go in and apologize. And through that moment, I got a real insight into what was going on for him. And there was this real moment of connection that would never have come if I hadn't made a mistake, and I hadn't said sorry. So it's sometimes in these moments that, I don't know, the relationship moves to a new place and it can be really beautiful. Yeah, and actually having that, as you said, it's about that connection and those relationships and getting back to that central, that that core in it. It's so powerful. So thank you so much. And Jen, what do you do to fill your cup? <laughs> okay, I've worked on that because I, yeah, I. so I've got a friend who from the minute we both had, we both had babies together and I used to think of her, so sometimes I'd bring her and say, what are you doing? And she'd say, I've put the kids in, you know, care or they're with my mum and I'm going to the movies on my own. And I'd just be like, oh, how decadent. I can't believe she's just having fun like that. 
anyway, I was not capable of doing that when I was a very young mum. And, and then I watched and I saw how this friend of mine just sort of was having a better time because she was looking after herself. So I made it my mission to work out, well, what do I find fun? And about five years ago, I took up playing basketball with <laughs> a team of mums and I was so, so terrible. And I love it so much. I hired this personal trainer. I started getting really good at playing my basketball. And so I still play in this team of beautiful mums on a Sunday evening. And if I get some time off, I will usually go and shoot hoops or go for a run with a couple of friends. And that's one of the biggest things I do that's for me. And obviously my work as well. You know, I am stepping out of the house and away from my kids in order to do what I do, but it absolutely is part of who I am and who I need to be. So it's probably those two things key, yeah. And obviously the odd wine out to dinner with friends. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Not totally pure. No, a good good sneaky wine never goes astray. So, yes. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Jen. I know that you've definitely filled my cup today in terms of my parenting outlook and and things like that. How can people connect with you? So the best way is my Instagram. That's where I do most of my stuff. I do my little IGTV videos and I've got all of that going on. And then I've got my private group on Facebook where I'm sort of building that. It's got about 150 people in there, but I want that to be a space where people can just ask those questions and, and and eventually help each other out is what I'm hoping it becomes a bit of a community and in addition to that I've got my website if people are expecting their second baby and they'd like help with that I've got my online course uh, and then there were two but I've also got other ways to connect with me through my website sensational no it's uh, you're doing some amazing work and I wish I'd discovered you before I had my second because I definitely <laughs> would have done it but no I think you've you've got so much here today and and definitely those messages around connection and boundaries and and welcoming emotions which as we've spoken about there's so many people that say those emotions you know try and almost shut the door on them but it's actually okay to accept them and embrace them and identify them as what you say so Yeah, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure and uh, good luck for the basketball. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Working Mama podcast. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify or your favourite podcast catch-up. I invite you also to join the Working Mama community on Facebook and join in the conversation with other like-minded working mums. Please also feel free to contact me on any of the Working Mama social channels. Remember, Mama is M-U-M-M-A or website www.workingmama.com.au. I would appreciate you to share this podcast with friends and colleagues, especially those that are parents managing the juggle. And I would really appreciate if you had to take the time out to leave a review of the podcast. I'll be giving a shout out to select people that do so. So stay listening and you might be one of them. Thank you and see you next time. Have a great week.